This is Chris Peltz, host of the Blind Grilling Experience, and you're listening to the AT Banter Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Uh, hey, this is, of course, the podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. Hey, my name is Rob Minot, and uh, and joining me today is Mr. Ryan Flurry. I'm Whack-A-Mole. <laughs> You're Whack-A-Bell. Whack-A-Bell. There you go. Actually, that, that, that would be a good nickname for you, actually. Whack-A-Bell? Like uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like Tinkerbell, except... Oh, I see. Like, like, like Will Ferrell. Sure. Um, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. It's getting hot Excellent. here. Well, yeah, it's been hot for a while. You know, we yeah, haven't had rain in what, 60 days or something? I don't, 90 don't days? even talk to me about the rain thing. I know they're already talking <laughs> to us about preserving, um, water. I know. It's a bummer. See, you already got me started. See, before, as I was coming to the show, I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to talk anything about current events because everything's just a bummer. You turn on the news, everything just is a drag. There's terrible things happening everywhere. We well, you know it. what? We have a cure for that. We have a good news show coming soon. I know. Good. Good. Because we, <laughs> we need a good news show. Because it just sucks. Every every morning I get up and I look at Twitter. Oh, which don't I do that. Doing, well, I shouldn't even be doing that, but I don't know. <laughs> or else I'm getting my news. Um, Thegoodnews.com. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, my point is, it just everything sucks. It seems. <laughs> Except wow. the show. The show doesn't suck. <laughs> well, it's true. okay. Anyways, I'm so, I'm Sam. I'm going there. You started this. You. Oh, okay. I, my apologies, everyone, for taking us down this rabbit hole. Right. Start taking us down a dark route. Uh, hey, so no, uh, Steve might be here. Uh, he is here. He just joined. Steve is here. Hey, there's Steve. Howdy. Sorry, I was late. I didn't realize I was late. No, that's no, that's right. okay. That was that was kind of my fault. So, just a, hey, just for uh, just just for completion's sake, say banter, 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 banter. <laughs> See, there you go. So, just l better late than never, everybody. That's insert that in your minds and theater of the mind. Just insert that just before that cowbell that you heard earlier. And, I, was, uh, I was thinking I'm I'm late enough to this thing that I should probably start making it part of my mo. Just always show up late and come up with some outrageous excuses to why I am. Oh, oh yeah, a tree that, fell on me. I like that. We, should, we can work on that. We'll work that for the 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 next year of the show. Oh, Steve was attacked by a fluffy bunny again. Yeah, well, there you go, squirrel. 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 He does have a lot of squirrels at his place, actually. Fewer now. Yeah. Well. <laughs> And we're going down the bad news road again. Yeah, exactly. What is there, a squirrel apocalypse now, too? Is climate change affecting the squirrels at your house? Jeez. I, have, I have been squirrel culling. Oh. Oh, wow. Has you been legal? barbecuing them? They're good with hot sauce, I hear. I never get enough at one time. You know, mm -hmm. Yeah. They, they, they would be good on the smoker, though, I bet. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, maybe. Well, Deborah knows stuff about cooking. What do you think, Deborah? Smoke squirrel? You know, we're talking about cooking. Yeah. <laughs> we could talk about rabbits. <laughs> oh, rabbit, squirrel. I feel like they're very similar. Tastes yeah. like chicken, doesn't it? I don't know. Yeah. Fair well, game. No pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, we'll have, we'll have Chris Peltz on from uh, Blind Grilling Experience. We'll have a big crossover <laughs> show, and it'll all just be about squirrels, eating squirrels. 
Great. Squirrels eating so, squirrels. Okay, so now we've <laughs> Animal squirrels of Burnaby. <laughs> okay, we're going it's going way off and way into the weeds already. All right, let's bring it so back. Before we go, yeah, let's before we we go that way, let's uh let's tell the fine folks at home uh, what we're doing today. Sure. So today we have with us executive chef from the YouTube channel, The Blind Kitchen, Deborah Erickson. Deborah, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, we have too. Um, you know, cooking is one of these things I feel like is very overlooked um, in terms of building, I guess, not just like functional kitchen skills, um, you know, in the blind and low vision community, but r really like, uh, like full-fledged cooking. You know, I, I did a bit of, of reading up on you and I find your story really, really interesting. So why don't we start there and maybe you could just give us a little background on yourself, maybe your vision condition and how you founded The Blind Kitchen. I am, I have retinitis pigmentosa and I only have the, a small bit of functional vision in one eye, mostly clouds and light and shades of gray. Um, I was the only blind student in culinary school, and I went to work immediately for the Oregon Commission for the Blind, teaching meal prep to blind and vision-paired adults, and then COVID hit. So I was home for a year and a half trying to figure out, what am I going to do? I, I love teaching people, and I have gathered all this information as I, I've been trying to solve problems you know, in culinary school. And so that's how it came to be. I just started organizing it and putting it together. And and now it ended up that that's who we are, the Blind Kitchen. We provide adaptive culinary tools and cooking strategies for people with vision loss who like to cook. So when did your um, retinitis pigmentosa sort of begin to develop and, and manifest? Okay, so I'm, I'm one of 12 children from the same parents, and three of us have it. And but there was no family history on either side. My parents were recessive gene carriers, so it hadn't expressed itself yet. And so I was 17 when the first eye doctor said I had reduced peripheral vision, but somehow I got lost. So I never saw an ophthalmologist. And so I wasn't formally diagnosed till I was 28. I was still driving. It was crazy because my eyes were pretty bad, but I didn't know it. How do I know how much peripheral vision my next door neighbor has or how much night vision they have? And those were the symptoms. But once I was aware of it, it's like, oh, <laughs> this isn't good. So previous to that, then, like growing up and stuff, were you always, you know, a, a good cook? Were you interested in cooking at that point? Not one bit. I was wow. a tomboy through and through. I was in sports all through high school and college. And but but in my home in Indiana, the girls did all the stuff in the kitchen and the boys did all the outdoors chores. And um, my mom did all of the cooking. We helped, you know, peel potatoes and we all had to, the girls had to do the dishes, but we didn't really help with cooking at all. And I had absolutely no interest in it. <laughs> so I was a teacher of adults while I still had normal vision. And then my vision started deteriorating and it got to the point where I had to start using a cane and learn to read braille and stuff. So I knew I wanted to teach adults again, but I didn't know I'd, what I wanted to teach them. So I was in meal prep as a student at the Oregon Commission for the Blind and the light bulb went on in my head. It said, I could teach cooking. <laughs> and then I thought, huh, I don't know how to teach cooking. I've never been formally taught how to cook. So that's when I approached my 
voc rehab counselor and said, you know, what about this? And she supported the idea. So they they were very helpful. Uh, I went to McClaskey Culinary Institute at Clark College in Vancouver, Washington. And the Disabled Student Services was fabulous. They brailed everything that I needed and they helped arrange things. Um, they helped me learn to know the kitchen because it's a huge kitchen. There's a lot of real estate and places to store things. So I had a lot of support from the commission and from Clark College. So what what I find really interesting about about your story and uh, you know in looking at at a lot of the different things that you sell on the website, what really strikes me is that a lot of it, like there doesn't really seem to be all that much kitchen equipment that is specifically adapted. I mean, yes, there are a few, but for a lot of them, they're just devices that already exist that just happen to be really handy if used in the proper way. I couldn't say it any better than that. Yeah, you just have to look at them through a different lens and and we can talk about a couple of them, but I'll, I'll tell you about one of them. It's called the, a cut resistant glove. And the way I found out about that glove was I was doing a work experience at, uh, at a deli grocery market combination and all of the cooks had to wear them. I, I Not me, just because I was blind, but when I came in, the cooks had been wearing them for years and the insurance required it. So it was like, well, it, so what you can do is you can literally run a blade across the palm of your hand while you're wearing this glove and it's thin and flexible and stretchy and it can't cut through it. So it was like, blind people could use this. Right. <laughs> how, how come I never knew about this before? So right. I didn't invent it, but I just said, wow, this would be a, so that's a perfect example of a tool not meant for blind or visually impaired, but you can't get a better match. Well, and you know what that reminds me of too is that you know we had Chris Peltz on uh, from the Blind Grilling Experience. Oh yeah, uh, I know Chris. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good friend of the show, and you know he was he was describing the way that you know he has a glove that he uses that's that's very heat resistant, and that's what he uses to say flip things on the grill um, rather than using tongs because he's just like you know tongs are really unwieldy and very <laughs> hard to use when you're blind. Um, so I just use my hands and, you know, so, and it's just this, it's a, a glove that uh, actually it's two gloves. I believe, I, I believe there's an, an inner, inner glove as well, but I mean, it, there, it's nothing that's been specifically made for this. It's just a normal glove that you can get at any hardware store um, that just happens to be heat resistant. So this isn't going to be stuff that's really expensive because it's specifically, you know, AT and it's a very niche market. They're just general uh, devices that you just use in, in different ways. You're exactly right. And, and also talking about that, so that same glove, the cut glove, we've got we've got a heat resistant glove, which are thick. You might know them as of gloves. We we get a, a knockoff brand because of gloves are crazy expensive and the knockoffs works just as well. But with with the cut glove, I use that to teach students how to like turn eggs in a pan. We have something called the egg ring that helps form them. But after you take that egg ring off, after they've set, you're trying to push it under with the spatula, that egg's just going to move right across that pan. And you can't really reach in with your finger and touch it. So what you, if you wear one of those gloves, it's not meant to be resistant against heat, but it does work. It's better than your skin. You might have two seconds where you have no seconds with your fingertips. So it, you, they can be used in that, in that, for that purpose as well. Pretty, and the other place they use them is like if you're trying to temp a uh, turkey or uh, 
chicken, you know, poultry that has to be cooked to a certain degrees, you have to temp it and stick the probe into the thickest part of the meat that's nearest to the bone because that's going to be the last part to cook and see if it is going to be 165. I put a glove on the hand that's going to touch the turkey and I can just put it on for a second and lift it and put it back on. And that's how I can know exactly where the to put the probe to have the best chance of getting it in the right place so I don't kill my family and friends. I kind of want to shift the focus back to you because I, I do really find your, your story very interesting because one thing that stood out to me is that you're going through several things, it seems, all at once. So you're sort of learning how to deal with your own vision loss while at the same time you're, you're doing this, you're going back to school, you're going into culinary school for something that you didn't really have an interest in and you weren't experienced in before <laughs> you lost your vision. And so, you know, you're going through a lot of a, a lot of change. Can you kind of speak to what that was kind of like for you? That's that's a really good question. Um, I the other thing that I haven't said is I'm no spring chicken here and I was going to school with kids that were 30 and 40 years younger than me. And um, I think the hardest part of the whole thing was the socialization. They didn't know what to do with me. And I was always the last one picked for the team. Christina Ha talks about that too. You may have heard of her on the MasterChef season yep. three, she won. Yep. And she was always the last one picked for the team. And so I, I actually watching her helped me because she got through it. And if she could get, it's always helpful to see someone who you perceive to be like yourself and if they can get through it, it, it raises your hope that you can get through it too. So I just I just put my nose to the grindstone and I just said, hey, this is, I'm just gonna come to school every day. I'm not really here to make friends, although I am very social and I would have liked it. And, but the, the, what they do is they'd leave during the lunch hour and nobody would invite me. So I'd just go back to the locker room and sit and, and eat my lunch. I brought my lunch in every day and I didn't know where they went. And I didn't want to beg to go along with them. And um, so finally, I, I went to one of the chefs and this is a little off the path, but I went to the chef and I said, you know, I'm getting stuck with the same person or every week because they're allowing people to choose their teammates. So the two best cooks are always together on a team and they're killing the rest of us. And I said, you know, in our work environment, I would be able to choose how, who I was going to work with. The, the chefs would tell me who, you know, which station I was working or whatever. And he said, you're right. I never thought about that. So then I was interacting much more with the other students because we were paired up for long periods of time to, you know, work together. And finally, one day, one girl, Crystal, she's still my friend to this day, um, came up and put her arm around my waist and she says, would you like to come to lunch with us? And I said, that would be lovely. And so from then on, they, they weren't afraid of me anymore. Uh -huh. <laughs> but, it, but it took a couple of months to, to get to that point. And I had to kind of problem solve myself how, it, it, well, the biggest problem was I wasn't getting the best partners. And I needed better partners because I'll pull my end of the deal, but I can't pull both of ours. Right. And what about the school itself? Were they pretty accommodating in terms of uh, making sure that, that all the materials were accessible, et cetera? Oh, yeah. I couldn't ask for anything more. And I can tell you a little bit about that assistive technology that really was very creative. And the school came up with it because I couldn't I, recipe reading. They'd say 
turn to page 396 and make this recipe in the book. And, and we want you to divide it by four or whatever. And I didn't have advanced time at that point in time to, to get that. And so I could listen to it, but I had, but I couldn't bring a laptop or a computer or a iPad or a phone in a commercial kitchen unless I covered it in cellophane. And it could, it kept losing its focus whenever anything touches it. Or if I try and swipe right, it, it would lose its focus again because it was confused. So they came up with the idea of putting it on a Victor reader stream. So it saved me because then what I would do is the chef would tell me in advance what recipes we were going to be making the next week. And I would go into a Word document and format it in the order that I needed it to go, including if it said three eggs, you know, a cup of milk, a cup of flour. When you get down to the recipe, it says, mix the eggs, the flour, and, and I can't memorize all that, especially under pressure. So then I was able to do the document where I could move the, mix the one cup of flour, the three eggs and the milk, you know, with the measurements. And so that, and then I could put that into a little Ziploc bag, the Victor Reader stream. And all I had to do is find the document and press pause and play. And I was right up there with the rest of them. I could rewind if I needed to, but when I did it right, it was just pause and play, pause and play between the steps. And actually that's the way the recipes are written in the blind kitchen. That's what I've done. I, it, it takes a lot of time to do that because you got to really think it out. Like, um, so, so let's like you're making chicken with some fresh herbs. You, I will tell people, fabricate the fresh herbs first. We use a, what we call a work tray in the blind kitchen, but it's like a cafeteria tray with raised size. I use that for a cutting board and for gathering ingredients. But if I use my knife, you know, and cut up my fresh ingredients first and my garnishes and anything else I need, then I can set them to the side. And if I'm fabricating the chicken, now I can use that same cutting board and I can put the chicken on that cutting board and it, it, I don't have to wash it before I use it for anything else right at that minute. Because if nothing else, kitchen uh, vision loss makes me a slower cook than than other people and i i don't kick myself about it i just am I, I other people can glance and do i've got to feel and think and do <laughs> it's it's gonna take a little bit longer um but but then i can also if i that whole chicken tray if i don't have time to clean it right then and i don't want to i can just move it to another counter out of my way and then get right back to work without slowing my cooking process down now, is the blind kitchen, the things you talk about, talk about in the recipes, are they mainly aimed at, say, people who have sort of adults that have lost their vision and they're learning to adapt? Or is it sort of aimed at even like, say, teenagers that have grown up blind that are looking to learn more about about cooking? So that's a good point because I don't teach people how to cook. I can give, I give tips and tricks in the recipes. Like here's one way you could do this. And here's one tool you could use to do this. But my main audience, because I had to start somewhere was people that knew how to cook, but didn't know how to get back in the kitchen after vision loss. So there's a lot, not to be ageist or sexist, but there are a lot, a lot of my customers are women who now have come into having age-related eye diseases. And cooking used to be their, who they were. They would cook for birthdays and 
Hanukkah and feast days. And now they've lost that big part of their self, their, their love that they would be able to give to their family and friends because they can't get back in the kitchen and do what they used to do to express that. And that's, those are a lot of my customers now. Right. Well, and I think that that's probably a fairly big demographic, to be honest, and a very important demographic to be hitting because for a lot of people, yeah, when, when they've, you know, they've, they've spent their whole life in the kitchen and cooking and it's something that they really love and, and they enjoy, um, to, to lose that due to vision loss, uh, that can be really, really hard for people. So, um, I'm sure that for a lot of people like this, it, it is, it does feel like a little bit of a, a, you know, a second, a second chance at that and very important. Yeah. And my hope is I, I would love to give remote cooking lessons, but I don't know how to really do that safely to ensure that 11 year old. And if you've seen the cooking shows, there are young kids that are fabulous cooks that really know the science and the art of it. But it, but, it, but if I'm sending something to a stranger, I I, I really hesitate because I can't make sure, but if their parent, if there's a parent out there that says, hey, I've got a blind son and he really wants to learn how to make chocolate chip cookies or whatever, I, I now I have a place to go where I can watch these tutorial videos to learn how to use the tools and then I can teach them. So that's the way I'd like to reach the new cooks at this point in time, unless I figure out a way to do it virtually, but I, I just right. don't know how to do that safely. Right, right. Well, yeah, and I think that the other thing to aspire to, and I think that, you know, people like Christine Ha, you know, it, that's why it was so important for her to, to sort of be in the spotlight, because I think for kids that are growing up, I, I like the idea that they can look at something like cooking or the culinary arts, and they don't feel cut off from those anymore. Um, you know, and even your story, this, you know, a, a teenager that that does really love cooking, they can look at that and go, well, you know what, then I can go to culinary school as well, because I really feel like that was not a career path that for a lot of blind people uh, in the past that they that they felt that they could enter into. And I feel like that's changing. I agree. I think when the ADA passed, it opened up a lot of doors for people where uh, pe where agencies that receive federal funding and educational institutions. I'm a taxpayer. I've worked all my life. <laughs> Why can't I access the same tax funded programs that a person with good vision does? So yeah, I think you're right. It, it, it's a game changer. And, and I think role models are very important without a doubt. And one um, demographic I'm looking at, well, I'm not even looking at, they're, they're approaching me are um, the 50 states have a funding source for, I think it's 14 to 20 year olds. It's called, they have different names in different states, but they're, they're, they give kids work opportunities at that age to where they have to cook for themselves. They have to, you know, very limited stuff, but they have to use public transportation to get to their work job. It's only a six week program. They stay in dorms. They have to get themselves up. And of course they get a hundred percent support at the beginning of it. They're, you know, they're there, but then they start to wean the kids off on their own. And people are saying, we would like to work with you. Th those, those are, they, these kids need you. But in that situation, they would provide the supervision and stuff. I would just come in and teach the skills. In your experience, 
are there ways that organizations can can improve on what they're teaching? I'd like to think that if you are in a position being paid to teach certain skills to people that that you are competent, but of course, that's not always the case. But here's another resource for them. If they're not really good at teaching kids how to flip eggs, and that's an important skill to learn, or you know how to how to cut safely or grate safely, they they may not be aware of some of the tools that are that are out there for them. And a lot of it depends on what their education was. But you're you're right about that too, because we have at the so I still teach meal prep at the Oregon Commission for the Blind part time, and we also we have a voc rehab program, vocational rehabilitation, in which any Oregonian that wants to go to work can come and take the classes. We even have apartments if they live three hours away and can't commute that that that's paid for, and that's a really nice. Uh, program and and it's very successful, but we also have I, I think they call it the it's like an independent living program for older adults, people that don't want to go back to work, and if they don't want to go back to work, they can't take these twelve two hour a week classes with me. They'll have a you know a skilled person come in for a couple hours a day for you know every couple of weeks whatever, depending on the need to help give them magnifiers maybe place bump dots on their uh, dishwasher and their laundry machines and teach them a few basic cane skills but and and cooking skills you know maybe somehow mark their oven dials so that they can use it or their microwave so they can use it so it it it's good that that is offered. But it, it's not it, it. I would love for it to see it be more intense if the person wants more time to learn a skill. If they don't want it, then I don't think it should be forced on them. But right now, it's not even really it's not offered. So I think they, programs like that with more intense training for those that want it. But it, that's not where yeah. the funding is down here. Yeah, and um, it's it's very similar up here too. I mean, really, nine times out of ten, what what it comes down to is just the resources, right? Lim resources mm -hmm. are limited, funding is limited, and there's only you know so many hours that you can devote to any you know independent living skill. And I mean, there's a lot. There, you know, it's not just you know cooking. There's there's a lot of other things that that need to be covered. So I think that for a lot of organizations. They just run out of resources. It's not even necessarily a competency thing. It's just you. We, we only have you know three hours that we can throw at this, so we need to to cover the basics. And they don't have time to cover a lot of these other things. There's a lot to create a real functional adaptive kitchen. Yes, there there are, there are a lot of tips and tricks that you can do yourself, but but there is a lot of them from you know making sure that everything is labeled properly and you know making sure that it's that it's had hand and then it's organized in a way that that you can can use it and those are all skills that that need to be built. Without a doubt, and there's never just one right answer for things. There's twelve right answers for most problems. So in terms of labeling. That's huge. It depends on your comfort with technology, your resources, how much can you afford. But you can be, they can be as simple as bump dots or a rubber band around. If you have two identical cans, try and remember, you know, cream of chicken soup or is it cream of mushroom soup? Well, mushroom has an R, so I'll put it around the mushroom soup and remember that it's a rubber band. I mean, it can be as simple as that. 
but it can be complex. There's a way around. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but those are you download an app, the way around app on your phone, and then um, they have different styles of tags, but you actually use RFID to you text, you, you dictate or spell whatever you want to, to go into the description, and then you double click on it, you'll get some haptic feedback. And from now on, whenever I touch that tag with my phone or get very close to it, it'll tell me what it is. And, but they're about, I think they're about a dollar a piece Shameless plug, uh, sold by Canadian Assistive Technologies. I did not know that. <laughs> oh, I, I, I just think it, it's a great system to have, oh, but you is. have to be familiar with your using an Android or, you know, talk back or voiceover. Um, there's another thing called the pen friend, which mm -hmm. isn't very technological, just a little bit, but it's, but it's pricey. I don't think um, it's made anymore, is it? Is it still made? I, I don't, you know, I ordered one for a student after last term. Did you? Yeah. I think it's Penfin 3 now that they're up to. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, okay, I think it, I think it went down during COVID. Oh, is that what it was? I think that's what it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There it is. Maxi Aids has it. Yeah. So um, so it, it can be, there's so many tips and tricks. And so now I'm going to shamelessly plug myself um, in, in the Blind Kitchen. The, the tools we sell are the bread and butter, but the... TBK library is the heart of the blind kitchen. It has 12 categories and things, including what you're talking about, like labeling is what we were just talking. But how do you identify it? How do you know the cream of mushroom? There's a couple of apps you can use. I'm sure you're familiar with them. Be My Eyes, Seeing AI. Um, there's different barcode readers um, that you can use to, to uh, learn what's in them. And some of them are free like be my eyes that's free and some of them require very little training but if you could most i'll tell you most of my students especially the ones i'd say under 40 are really good with their phones they're way better than i am <laughs> there's no doubt about it i tell them to go download the way around app they do it <laughs> so um it's it's there that so the library has 12 categories it's like how do you shop after vision loss if you've always just drove to the store with your little handwritten grocery list and pushed your cart, it's gonna it's a lot harder now if you, if you don't have that option. Um, how do you dine out with dimmed lighting and the menus are never large enough? There's a lot of tips to making that easier that don't involve a tool. They just involve knowledge. And the last one that we just added, the 12th add request from a customer is, uh, is bar grilling and barbecuing. And so that's that's another thing that's really getting popular with people that they like that we we're offering that now. And that includes recipes and tools and tips and just knowledge. Yeah, it's it's a cool thing. Yeah, well, and, and I feel like that th those are really invaluable resources. And I feel like for anybody too, because um, you know, even even parents of of blind kids, um, these are these are skills that that need to start at home. And if they can have an idea of, oh, this is a way that we can organize the kitchen at home and get, you know, little Susie involved in helping make dinner or help helping her bake cookies, um, these are skills that are that are really important to instill in those kids at that age because they're going to grow up feeling a lot more comfortable in the kitchen because and and they're, they're just more involved in in making food which i think is is a really healthy way to to be raising them 
Yeah. And you know, cooking, it, it's one of those things. And we talk about it at, in our, in our instructor meetings. So one of the instructors teaches JAWS computers, how to use, you know, any of the, the programs on the computer so that they have to learn the keyboard and all that. And, and if they, how to format documents, how to browse, uh, browse the internet. Their kids are usually pretty good with their phones, but when it comes to computers, it's it's a lot more difficult for them. And with with that, there's so much negativity. Uh, now I want you to do this. No, nope, try try it again. No, nope, try it again. And at the end of that lesson, they don't get a cookie. You know, it's like <laughs> it's really hard stuff. But when you're teaching your children how to cook, there are there's rewards that can be built very easily into the recipe. If you're making cookies, I'm not teaching them just how to measure and bake. <laughs> We're gonna have cookies when this is over and you're gonna bring some home <laughs> with you. Yeah. So it's, it is, it's, it's got built-in reinforced. The parents could use this well or teachers yeah. or whatever that it, it's I, I that's one of the reasons I love it. Yeah, well, and I feel like too, that, I mean, there's this, there's this knee-jerk response with parents that you know the kitchen is is dangerous this is where knives and you know the hot stove <laughs> is and you know that's a natural sort of parental i guess instinct is mm -hmm. to you know keep the kids out of the kitchen but i think that you know especially when you're dealing with uh, blind or partially sighted kids you, you kind of got to go against those instincts and you have to get them comfortable in it because there's going to come the day when they they need to be comfortable in the kitchen that's true I, I want to talk to you a little bit about this. We've been ranting about appliances for the last little while in the sense that many stoves that are coming out now, especially the newer ones, they're, they're either they're smart stoves or more importantly, they're, they're, it's all touchscreens. No dials and Elements sort of, under the glass. Exactly. Like how <laughs> have you run into that? And what do you think about you know, just the lack of accessibility in a lot of these new appliances. There is such a small percentage of the population that is blind or legally blind. Stovetop companies are not going to make models for us. It just isn't going to be in their best interest financially. So we have to figure it out for ourselves. That's the way I, I mean, do I, I, we have, uh, national organizations that advocate for more legislature, more accessibility, um, and they do really good work, but it, but legislation is a slow process, especially lately. Um, but um, so I am a big, we've got technology. I'm a big fan of uh, smart speakers. They aren't perfect, but I, I have, I have uh, in my kitchen a, uh, air fryer, microwave, convection oven combination that I just tell my smart speaker, please preheat the smart oven to 400 degrees. It clicks on, she repeats what I said to make sure I got it. And then when it's done, mm. your oven is preheated. And I can say, okay, now set a timer for 10 minutes. I'm gonna put the food in and then the timer goes off. So you can also get recipes on smart speakers. Um, you can, some work better than others. And I noticed that uh, uh, Amazon has really kind of tweaked it somehow and it's not as good as it used to be, but because they don't have a screen and they don't offer to send it to your phone. So you, it'll sit there and tell you, you say, give me a recipe for apple pie. And it'll say, 
I found a recipe on a taste of home. Does that sound good? And then you say yes, and it'll say, do you want the ingredients or do you want the re instructions? And so you can start, if you just want to get an idea of what all goes in it, you can skip right to the instructions. And if you, for the instructions and the ingredients, she'll say, okay, there are 11 ingredients. You need one pound of apples. When you need the next, next ingredient, just tell me, next ingredient. Can you tell I've heard this before? So then you can go and get the apples, put them on your work tray. You, you need one half teaspoon of cinnamon. You can go to your cabinet, get your cinnamon. Alexa, next ingredient, and then she'll give it to you. Now, mind you, it's not perfect, but it, it sometimes she gets lost in the middle. So if a timer goes off or some type of notification comes in, you may have to start again, you know, to get her to, to talk her through it. But I, I think this is the kind of stuff we need to learn to do. Um, we, we've just got to adjust, and technology is the secret to a lot of this. I don't think the stove companies are going to change the dials for us. You know, I, I guess the, the long and the short of it is that you, in terms of the, the stove anyways, I mean, I guess you just have to, to use some sort of uh, bump dots or markers or something to, like, I, I don't know. I just don't know how people navigate those. Oh. That's assuming it's manual dials, right? Like so much stuff now is, is touchscreen and the touchscreen's inaccessible. It's, it's ridiculous. So, so the touchscreen is inaccessible until you make it accessible. So you can you you need tactile information, right? And you don't have it. It's a smooth screen, and you can't see the digital controls. So you need a sighted person to uh, to put bump dots on it for you. And you only put a few. If you put too many, they become worthless. So like on, we have a stove at work that is inaccessible. Um, the the stovetop has dials, but the oven is a push a, a touch screen. So we have a dot on on. We have a dot on arrow up, <laughs> so it's a little bit higher and to the right of the arrow down, which is a little bit lower on the left. They're located in dots that make it logical. And then we have a dot on uh, preheat and then one on cancel. I don't have anything on broil. If I do broil with a student, I'm going to forget where that darn button is, so I'll get Be My Eyes or Ira to help me find it. And, and that's also a good lesson to show the student. You know, this is how... I, I can't do everything either, but this is how I can access the information. And I make that always a part of one of my list, of my lessons to let them see me use it too, because I do use it. But but then then all you have to do, I mean, sometimes the dots come off, but they last for a long time. So when I go to use the oven, if I need 400 degrees, I know when I push that on bump dot, I'm gonna move over, it's about five inches to the right. If I need 400 degrees, I'm gonna do that upward dot for you know 10 times. And then I'm going to come back and hit on, and I'll know it's preheating. And I, I, I'll definitely check in between. <laughs> I'll come back in five minutes and say, did I really get that? <laughs> yeah. And if it's heating up, I'm fine. So flat screens are not a deal breaker. It seems to be that it's it's just a matter of, of adapting it and finding a way to adapt it. You know, you, we, you don't need, we don't necessarily need high-tech solutions. Uh, Low-tech solutions can sometimes work. Exactly right. Exactly hmm. right. High tech is more fun, but <laughs> the low tech can work. <laughs> well, listen, we would like to thank you so much for, for coming on and chatting. It's very appreciated. Where can people find The Blind Kitchen? So we are completely online. There's no brick and mortar store. And our website is very user friendly. And every every item you receive comes in its own package labeled in both large print and braille so anybody can use it we're at uh 
theblindkitchen.com. You can write to to me and I'll, I answer all the info emails at info at theblindkitchen.com. And if you'd like to call, I, I love talking with people. You can call 503-313-2345. And one more reason to go check it out is they have audio description on their videos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We just won. I was shocked and honored, and I, I can't even really take credit for it. Our My videographer did a, if you haven't gone to the web, well, you've been to the web, website, but they have the cupcake sequence. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's just yeah. beautiful. And we the audio description project of the American Council of the Blind just granted us, um, we were the individual winner in media. Oh, so nice. it was really an honor. Yeah. Awesome. Fabulous. For the audio description, yeah, never even knew that that award existed. So you can imagine my shock. Yeah, we're still waiting for our first podcast award, but Trey, it's coming. <laughs> Maybe the Blind Kitchen can bake you a cake or something. Oh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna develop our own award and award. I think to we ourselves. have already. Yeah, yeah, we have. We, that's right. Coming up, the Golden <laughs> Cowbell awards. Yeah, yeah. oh, the Golden Cowbell. I like that. Ever, <laughs> thanks again. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I really had fun. Thanks for having awesome. me. Thanks, Deborah. Thanks for coming. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah. See, that's what I like to hear. I, I'm actually I'm actually really impressed uh, at the story about her going to culinary school and, and all the accommodations that they made. Uh sounds like a really cool school. I have to admit, I, I, I missed a chunk of the podcast because uh, with the uh, half hour time change that I didn't realize, I, uh, <laughs> I had to I had to mute myself and run out to uh, get stuff on the smoker outside for dinner tonight. So, oh, we'll see what that's OK. You're cooking. You're home. I was I was cooking. Yeah. So, so there you go. I love that this potentially opens up a whole other career path for people who just who maybe thought that that would ne- could never be open to them. Yeah, we've had we've had some real pioneers in in the uh, cooking area with respect to visual impairment on the show, and I, I think totally. you know we we need we need more we need more blind cook for sure. Well, I mean, and that's why you know more importantly, they need to bring us food. Why have they brought us <laughs> food? Well, that's why you know Christine Ha. You know, I can't say enough good things about her and and that whole that whole thing. I, I feel like it really opened up. Um, the culinary arts to a lot of people. And I think that we're already starting to see the results of that. And that's, yeah, that was only what, five or six years ago. Not to brag, yeah. but we did have her on the show. And so now, yes, we did. I know we did. Who don't know, go back, go back. It's like, it was like in the first year again. It's, it is really interesting. You know, what one person, the difference that they can make for a lot of people. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, Rob. We didn't even say that Liz isn't here today. Liz but I'm here. Sure, I guess people. Yeah, exactly. Liz. I guess people noticed. She'll She's listen on the road again. Like she didn't even. They didn't even mention me. Well, yeah, I'm sure she's somewhere. She's probably somewhere parachuting into Europe somewhere. <laughs> Black op. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Where can people find us? Atbanter.com. Uh, they can also drop us an email if they so desire at to cowbell. Well struck. Uh, yeah. at, <laughs> well struck. Uh, that, that was such a strike, it knocked, it knocked the plug right out of my head. Uh, <laughs> cowbell at atbadger.com. And if they want to, they can find us on that poisonous social media 
I'm not saying where because it's just poison. It's pure poison. Yeah. I feel like I'm contributing to their delinquency. Don't, don't even get me started on on that. Yeah, yeah, you guys and your social media. I don't know. You've been ranting about it for years, and yet you're still on there ranting about it. <laughs> I'm only on Instagram. That's all I'm on. Yeah, there you yeah so Linda, Linda wanted to say you had some beautiful pictures from your road trip. Oh, my God. The road trip was fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really good. So there you go. All right. That is going to about do it for us this week. Big thanks, of course, to Deborah for joining us. And we will see everybody next week. <laughs>